You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is the shaggy hair, gruff beard installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Uh, We are bunkered in and ready to go. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports, thebigspur.com. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. And we bring this to you each and every week. This is, I believe, number 103 all time. Uh, and this is the first time we've talked about doing it for a while. And, you know, we're we're still getting uh, acclimated to all the technology and everything else. The first time we'll actually have a guest on the podcast, that'll be later on, our buddy Jeff Dantzler, who's been covering the Georgia Bulldogs since he was knee-high to a grasshopper. Uh, Jeff is with... Uh, Georgia Bulldog Radio also does a afternoon show on 960 The Ref, and uh, you can catch his work on Bulldog Illustrated as well. We'll get his thoughts on everything that's been going on, the prospects of the upcoming season, and of course, all things uh, Georgia football as they're uh, once again poised to have another good year, although they're going to have to do so with a complete changing of the guard uh, on offense. Lost a lot of key players that we've seen, including, of course, their starting quarterback, uh, Mr. Fromm, not to be confused with Jake of State Farm, but Jake Fromm, the uh, the quarterback. Jeff, uh, excuse me, JC, in the meantime, you and I got a lot of other things to talk about. How have uh, you been since our last discussion a week ago? Um, good. You know, I, I don't know. You know, last week I, I kind of looked around and said, last week I had a great weekend last weekend. It was about uh, 63 degrees here in the greater Chicago area. Um, where I've been bunkered down <laughs> for the last month. Um, yes, I've had to deal with, uh, you know, my southern butt not being used to the cold. Um, and, uh, and you know, you know where I'm from in, in Atlanta, Spartanburg, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, uh, you know, it, we have 70 to 80 degree days in March, you know, pretty, pretty but it never does that up here. Um, and so I've had to get used to that along with being quarantined. But, you know, 63 degrees, uh, some friends came over with uh, me and the significant other, and we uh, practiced our social distancing, but had a little tailgate party out in the front uh, 
the front yard and, you know, talked about some things. It was good to see other people, uh, you know, and then it snowed on Tuesday. <laughs> and and then, like, you know, the media this week has been unbelievable. And we're going to talk about that in our segment later with Jeff, I'm sure. But just some of the talk about the virus and, and some of the statements that have been made, um, you know, about the potential for college football to be canceled. I'll be honest, that along with it being 40 degrees outside again, it's it's wearing on me a little bit, man. It's wearing I think on it's, me. I think it's wearing a lot, a lot of us. Yeah. Um, uh, and again, and we'll, we'll get into this later on. Look, I respect everybody's opinion, and I certainly I'm a big First Amendment guy. Everybody's got a right to an opinion. Everybody, uh, I, I like the cross section of, of, of perspectives. But what 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 it bothered me, I talked about it last week. The overwhelming negativity. It's almost like it's become. You you feel like you're more intellectual if you just give this completely negative forecast, and so often it's coming from people that, quite frankly, are in a much better position to just sit out an entire football season. Uh, the, these are people that economically can just ride it through, and even if they didn't get a paycheck for uh, another six months, they'd be okay, and that's great for them. But for most America, most of America. If everything was just shut down for the rest of the year, you don't even want to know what that what that normal looks like. It's scary, uh, and so I just I, I don't need the opinions necessary. I mean, well, again, I respect the opinions of everybody, but I don't need to take to the bank the forecast from a lot of people that, quite frankly, would not be overly traumatized by the loss of a football season. Which, when I say that, not to be to, to underscore the fact that I'm not being overly shallow, I realize that by saying there wouldn't be, for example, a football season, that also means in all likelihood we still would not be, we, we'd be for the most part shut down, right? I mean, because that's what, that's what most of the people are talking about here. I mean, we, we've had the whole debate on what's essential business versus what is not. I mean, I've been in three different states in the last few weeks. And the rules, I've been in Kentucky, Georgia, and Florida. There is no consistent rule, no consistent logic whatsoever. Kentucky, with their governor, uh, who is newly elected, by the way, he has put Kentucky, a, a state that has one of the lowest numbers of, you know, per capita uh, of actual COVID-19 uh, I don't want to use the word victims, but uh, uh, people that have tested positive for it, he has taken it to a whole other level. I mean, everything is shut down. Uh, and if you get caught doing this, that, and the other, then you're in a whole lot of trouble. And you can't play golf, and you can't uh, go here and there. I mean, it's beyond just restaurants are closed, and we can't have huge or, uh, huge groups of people here and there. That's completely uh, one set. I mean, here in I'm in Atlanta, as you know, uh, you can't play golf and people are going to the lake and people are doing some things. And I was in Florida and, and I'll tell that story real quickly because I think a lot of people would be curious to know if for nothing else, what is it like, Mike, getting on an airplane right now? Because they have not shut down travel. You know, there are still flights. There aren't many, 
but there are still flights. Uh, it was weird that all the beaches are closed in Florida, uh, which is obviously a huge part of Florida's economy and everything else. You know, without all that shoreline, Florida is a much different looking state in so many different ways. Uh, and so there were different rules there. So, I mean, I, I have to like check, okay, where am I? What, what are the rules? What can I do? What can I do? It, it's confusing. It's like, I know one thing, I can't get a haircut anywhere. So you and I are both, when I say the shaggy installment of the podcast, we can't get a haircut unless uh, we can find a bootleg uh, haircut somewhere. So, um, but I'll just tell you quickly, because a lot of people ask me, um, I didn't post a whole lot of pictures of my, of my trip. But uh, I did post one of of me and and my significant other. Both she and I were wearing the the masks as we got ready to board the plane, uh, and even taking it to a next level, wore gloves. Uh, I, I'm not sitting here to tell you what you should or shouldn't do, but I just wanted to be especially careful. The flight was booked a long time ago before everything went to this level, and I thought for sure we were going to have to cancel it. I thought for sure. Uh, I wouldn't be able to do some of the things I normally do when I'm visiting family down in South Florida. Thankfully, one of my cousins came through and uh, at least allowed us to, to live somewhat normal through, through the course of my 10 days down there. Uh, but getting on an airplane through the busiest airport in the world, which is it looks like something out of a horror movie. There's like no one there. So you go and you you, you pass you know, where, where your luggage is supposed to go, it's practically empty. You go through security, there are no lines. Uh, you, uh, very little lines, I should say. And there's always going to be some line. It's Atlanta Airport, after all. Uh, and then you, you get to your gate, and on a flight that normally would have, I don't know, 200-something people, there might have been 40-something on the plane. So you get your own row and then some. It's no, it's, there's no difficulty in, in spreading out and uh, kind of quarantining yourself from the rest of the uh, airplane. Um, I talked to the flight attendants. You know, They said they, they don't know anybody that does what they do that has had any issues. Uh, at no point did I really feel scared. Now, I kept my mask on, and I, I made sure uh, – to uh, keep my hand sanitizer ready and not touch my face and all the things that we're told to do. Uh, got off the plane, again, another empty airport down at uh, uh, in West Palm, um, scarily so, and then uh, took an Uber to my destination, and that was it. And then just like everybody else, a whole lot of takeout, <laughs> a whole lot of Uber Eats and DoorDash and everything else. And that's how we lived our lives for those 10 days and got back. And I'm happy to say uh, we're both healthy and, and both in good shape. Am I encouraging people to get on a plane? No, I'm not. I'm not encouraging or discouraging anything. I am not smart enough, nor do I think I'm important enough to do that. I'm just giving you my experience because a lot of people asked, what was it like, Mike? What was it like? That's what it was like. And if you follow me on Twitter at Morgan on Air, uh, I posted pictures of what Atlanta's airport looked like on the return, which was uh, late Easter Sunday. And anybody who's been through the Atlanta airport, which is probably most of our listeners, uh, you will be shocked at what you see, just how empty it was. That wasn't like a two in the morning. That was like at, at noon is when we got back. Okay. So um, take that for what it is. Uh, that has been my week 
and that has been my couple of weeks uh, in three different states. And, of course, everywhere you go, uh, I don't know, I'm sure, J.C., you're the same way. People sometimes, they think we have answers that we don't just because we do what we do. I don't, I'm not any closer to knowing what the college football season is going to look like based on inside information. I can tell you that some of the things I've read uh, that are factual I find interesting. Uh, and, and I will tell you this. I have spoken to multiple athletic directors in the southeast of prominent programs that get that rely, uh, you know, I won't say rely, but let me let me reword that. That have the privilege of having very large crowds for their six, seven home games a year. And I asked point blank because there's a lot of talk right now about what what would it mean to have crowdless games and you have debates on twitter for example darren Ravel said ticket revenue is 75 percent of the money for college football now you and i know that's not right right off the bat nicole auerbach who does a good job as a, a, a reporter for college football immediately tweeted uh darren that's simply not true ballpark figures for college football revenue vary by conference obviously she she quoted twenty five to thirty five percent TV, twenty five percent ticket, fifteen to twenty five percent donations, and the last twenty five percent is split among everything else. I can tell you, I had multiple ads. One told me thirty percent, and another told me thirty five percent of revenues would be lost for every game that there is no crowd. So another seventy percent or so of the revenues would come in. Vis-a-vis TV money, essentially, is what that is. Yeah. So even if we had to play some games without crowds, and you and I talked about this going weeks back, you're going to have to get past the idea of what's normal and what is ideal. We're not dealing with ideals. Sometimes you have to to, to get out of your comfort zone and and weigh the two options. And I think the majority of people understand that it's better to have – some games without crowds versus no season at all. And I'm just telling you that those are the numbers and those are the facts. And the only other thing that I thought that was substantial that came out with Mike Pence meeting with, uh, uh, and I say meeting with, again, I don't know if that was actually in person or on a conference call. I don't know if they all flew up to Washington or what, but there was conversation between the power five, as I like to call them, the five families to use uh, an old uh, mafia term. Because these are the people that do; these are the people that really set the tone on what happens in college football. Let's be honest, and we all know who the five leagues are. So those five commissioners spoke with Mike Pence, as well as, of course, the you know the commissioners of professional sports. And the one thing that came out of that that I thought was interesting is that if if there are no students on campus, then we will not have a college football season. That is the first time I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? I, I, I think it's a it's a it, number one. Uh, it, it made me cringe a little bit. I, I want to hear what Greg Sankey and uh, you know the uh, Delaney from the Big Ten. I, I really don't want to hear what Bob Bowlesby has Bob to Bowlesby, say about yeah. it. nothing against him, but you know 
I'd rather almost hear from Joe Castiglione and whoever, whoever the athletic director is at the University of Texas right now than Bob Bolsley about. Any but kind but of do you situation. think? I, I mean, I agree with you. But do you think Bob, the way it's being reported, it wasn't just Bob Bolsley that yeah, said? I, I know, I know. I, it just irked me, but because there was this canned quote, and, it, it, and I'm not laying it on his feet, but his canned quote of. Well, we're doing nothing until we reopen our schools because that reinforces this whole notion that, you know, college football is nothing more than a student activity where you got old chap like it was in the 20s sitting there with his, you know, leather sweater on with his gal and smoking a pipe. And then he goes and puts on his leather helmet and fights, fights, fights on the polo grounds for the old boys, old chap. And then they get out and do it again. You know, and he's also president of the beta club and all this other crap. That's not the way it is anymore. And the NCAA time and time again, even in the face of a global pandemic and people scared to death and concerned uh, about the economic impact of losing college football, they want to put up this facade that, oh, it's really about education or whatever. Well, you know, part of getting a good education is learning how to think outside of the box and solve problems. And we have a problem. You know, you can't just treat it like, oh, well, it's like the drama club. You know, if we start school back, then we can start the drama club back. And we could do that good production of Fiddler on the Roof if we can find <laughs> enough people to be in the, in the dancing chorus. You know, no, you, you can't do that. that that's just not that, – that's just that, that pissed me off to no avail. And like I said, it, it may not have been, you know, whatever. Now, do I think that maybe there's a political angle here and they're – you know, they need testing. Obviously, when you – by all accounts – you know, unless you listen directly to the press conference with the president, and even he kind of says, well, we're getting there. Obviously, testing's an issue. That's the, the number one talking point for everybody, the, 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 you know, and some exaggerate it more than others. So maybe they're saying, hey, maybe that's their, their way of pushing the administration to go, hey, well, we need to test. Because to open a college campus, you're going to have to massively test. I mean, you're talking, when you're talking about a college campus, Mike, and this is what got me. Because that's fundamentally different than bringing your football team back on campus to work out, eat, take classes virtually, and then play games in an empty stadium. You know, you're talking about 40,000 students at most of these schools that are inside. Most of them live in cramped dorms with a roommate, and some of them have community bathrooms. You're in a classroom full of people that sneeze and cough and barf and do whatever else. Now get me started on fraternity and sorority houses, which are peach petri dishes. I mean, to me, it's it's like you know that's opening a bunch of cans of worms and trying to make stew in a short amount of time. Whereas with a football and athletic end of it's easy. You know, you have the dorms, you have the ability to to get to spread these guys out. You have great medical care. You have testing and the ability to do that. You can keep them quarantined. You actually could probably keep these guys safer if you did this. But but we're talking about, oh, well, you know, you can't open football till you open the Kappa Alpha, Alpha House. What the hell? I mean, to, to me, that just didn't make any sense at all. You know and, where that comes from? Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're on a good rant. I'll look, keep going. No, no. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I just want uh, to see from those leaders of college football. I'm tired of hearing the mealy mouth. Blah, it's just like the guy who's a good guy who's in charge of the playoff, Hancock. He sat up there at SEC Media Days two years before there was a playoff. We have no desire to have a playoff. Bullshit. 
<laughs> you know? I mean, I'm just – and Hancock's a great guy, and I understand what his job is, but I'm tired of the people – you know, this is – this. It, it, it's to the point where – we have to we have to start thinking about outside of the box ways to play this season because it's so important and impacts so many other people. And it's just like you can't just treat it like the drama club. Yeah, yeah, and and there's just so like I I heard a debate this morning, uh, and it was well, what if there was a football season, and what if in week four player from team X Y Z tested positive. They'd have to shut down all of college football right away. Really? That's your that's your problem solving? Uh, no, you you quarantine the player that tests positive. Just as if if you had a, a player that tested positive for the flu, you don't shut down the the, the season. You don't just disco- you don't forfeit every game left. That player doesn't play, and you don't you don't put him in the locker room where he could spread the that particular virus. I. I, I Sometimes I wonder the logic. Look, obviously, all the players would have to be tested. And just like in the professional ranks, I mean, you saw how quickly once once Rudy Gobert tested positive, oh, those tests came out in a hurry. Uh, look, in, in life, reality is certain people have access to things that not everybody does, or they have access to things quick more quickly than your average Joe does. College athletes, with all the money that is involved, they already have superior medical care than, than most of us do. They have incredible team doctors. If if somebody gets hurt, if you had if you had to have a, an MRI lately, JC, I have uh, an MRI. First of all, just to book an appointment for one takes days, if not weeks. And then when you find out, I don't care what your insurance is, you're going to be out of pocket and, and more likely, in all likelihood, a lot of money. Uh, if a player tweaks his knee on a play, he's going to have an MRI within 24 hours and not going to pay a cent. It's just a different deal, and I'm not complaining about that. God bless them for having those type of things at their disposal. But uh, obviously, you, if that happens, just like in any other situation, you continue to test the players, and then you take the player that tests positive and you act accordingly. You don't have to shut down everything. So there's this immediate – there's so many people right now that are speaking in terms of doom and gloom and worst-case scenario and uh, how can we make it work and just – I just got to throw my hands up in the air and say, ah, the heck with it. It's too complicated. That's not leadership. That's not leadership. The people that are actually making these decisions, I have confidence, are not looking at things in that light. So it's real easy to do a 10-minute segment on a, on a talk show or, or, or tweet something out and just say, well, well, what happened is this happened? It's crazy. Nothing can... No, people with, more, with calmer heads and more practicality and people that actually have to lead think in terms of, of the bigger scope. And so, I, look, I think – and by the way, it's not everybody that's all doom and gloom. For example, the Texas A&M chancellor – he was quoted as saying, I think the SEC and the NCAA come to a conclusion. We probably start football in October and still have a 13-game schedule. Uh, Play it through December. Right. I mean, so you can eliminate bye weeks. I mean, you and I have talked about this already on this podcast. You can eliminate bye weeks if you had to. And I think this is the last resort. I know a lot of people are like, well, just play all conference games. Well, are you going to eliminate games like South Carolina, Clemson, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech? Uh, oh, well, just eliminate one at a conference game. Well, those make money, too. Those pay some of the bills as well. The other thing about it is when you hear people say what you're talking about, 
I honestly think they are just so scared to death of the the PR hit that if you didn't have all the students on campus, but you still had the college football players participating, oh, well, then people are going to say they're not really student athletes and so on and so forth. I mean, can we just move past this already? If, if any young man does not want to play, he can choose not to play. It is still a voluntary activity. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't have a college football season, the gobs and gobs of millions of dollars that are going to be lost, and I haven't heard anybody talk about this. I mean, we're already seeing coaches taking pay cuts in many uh, cases, athletic directors taking pay cuts already in many cases. And at some point... The cost of a scholarship, I keep I keep dwelling on this because it's amazing how many people that try to speak about this subject intelligently don't understand it's not just about a free education. These kids are getting everything paid for. Yeah. So while, while your average student, you and I went to college, uh, I first I paid for a dorm, then I paid for an apartment. And when you pay for an apartment, you pay a utility bill, you pay a cable bill, you pay a uh, – back then it was a phone bill. Now everybody has cell phones. Uh, and every meal that you ever consumed, you paid for. These kids ha- don't – don't have to worry about that right now. Yeah, it, and, that, and don't try to minimize that because add it up. Anybody who's been to college or has a kid who's about to go to college, it's a lot of money. And if you don't have money coming in from TV revenue and ticket sales and donations, at some point that runs dry as well. Agreed. And, and you know, and then look, some of these people out here that are, you know, politicizing this because they, they won't, you know, they have, a, 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 I guess, a, 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 a rooting interest in an election, and, I, and I'm talking about people on either side, you know, because I've seen this thing get politicized more than any other tragedy um, in our country's history. I mean, I would think in some ways, you know, the Civil War was the last thing that polarized our country like this. Of course, this is this is kind of not even close to something like that. It's really kind of dumb how it is. But if you're out there pulling for college football to get canceled because you're wanting a certain outcome in the election because you want things so bad that a certain president will be voted out or if or if you're on the other side of it and, and you know, I can't understand why anybody on the other side of it would, but, I mean, th- then you're a sick person in the head, quite frankly, because you don't really understand life. And um, I, I think that there are people out there like that, and that's sad. And I think what people don't realize, too, is if you're so concerned about safety, um, especially with the way this virus spreads and, and social distancing and all that, in a athletic dorm that's sanitized, that's state-of-the-art at most places, with your meals all being in one area, uh, that they're catered or workers sit there have their own cafeteria, dietitians and all, and you're just around your team quarantined uh, in the football building and taking online classes and things like that, you're actually, you know, collectively probably better off than if you're in a hundred different neighborhoods spread across the country mm-hmm. doing a hundred different things. If you're talking about personal safety of athletes. So um, that that's one thing some of these people, you know, need to keep in mind. And, and also some of these other folks, you know, that, that, that want to politicize it. They love women's basketball. And heck, I like women's basketball. No, nothing against that. But if we start cutting sports, we're probably going to cut that first because it's the most expensive and you lose the most money on it. 
some a, a including the good programs. One of the best programs in the country this past year lost five million dollars on women's basketball. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry for all you out there, you know. And then there's some people that just don't even like football, and they 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 don't want the whole sport to go away. And that's also political. So for you, and I know you're probably not listening to this podcast, but you can tell your your buddy over there with the, you know. I'm not going to talk about the way your buddy dresses, but uh, you can picture it in your head. The, you know, the big women's basketball fan that, that watches British soccer but thinks that football is too violent and too masculine. You can tell that guy the first thing that's getting cut is women's basketball and women's sports. And and then, you know, unfortunately, those of us that like baseball are probably going to cut baseball. I was going to say, with, with Title IX, if you start cutting women's basketball, you got to be men. prepared to cut some men's yeah, sports. So, so the golf team, gone. Yeah, I mean, swimming gone, diving gone. Something happened that that I realize is not going to register on the Richter scale of of the ardent uh, college football fan. But Cincinnati cuts soccer and and maybe they were already thinking about it because it's they're losing money on it. I think, what is it, Duquesne or, no, Old Dominion, I believe, cut wrestling. And wrestling is already a sport that's been butchered by Title IX. But there's there's no question. I mean, that would be uh, one of the shoes that would drop. The the group five would get get hammered first. It would just be this, it would come in waves. Olympic sports, uh, uh, group five sports programs all together. And then, yes, eventually the tide would come out or in or out. I always get those confused, but the tide eventually would hit. And I'm not talking about crimson tide would hit the schools that a lot of our listeners care most about and hit the sport that a lot of our listeners care most about. And that is college football. Don't think that can't happen. If there's no season and the amount of money that would be lost, it can't be gained again. 80 plus percent of revenues come from football. Okay, so if you take that off the table, it's not just a blip on the radar. It's not a oh, well, we're all going to take a haircut on this, but we'll be fine. It's telling you it's more than that. If you really start looking at the actual numbers, I think the perception is that there's this huge kind of the equivalent of a Federal Reserve, because for years we've been taught that all these schools and athletic departments are getting so much money and they're just stockpiling it. That's not necessarily the case. What they've been doing with that money is building the equivalent of Taj Mahal's at every athletic facility, not just the stadiums, but the weight rooms. Everybody's got multiple smoothie bars now at these, you know, SEC, uh, Big Ten, some cases ACC level type programs. So the money that come, comes in is just as quickly going out to pay for that stuff. There is not some huge Federal Reserve. And if there's talk about the country going bankrupt, hmm. if we shut down the economy for another three, four, five months, what do you think athletic departments are going to have to do? They're going to be shut down. So I mean, it, it, at some point, again, and our, our, our guest today will, will talk about this as well, Jeff Dantzler of Bulldog Illustrated and... Uh, Georgia Bulldog Radio, at some point the other shoe is going to drop. It's not just about, well, would it be in our best interest to play football in such a struggling time when it's just a sport? There's a lot more at stake in all that. Uh, And and so that is definitely something to be considered when we're thinking about all this. And one other um, thing that's out there is the possibility of playing in the spring. 
Now, this is wrought with issues and problems, and I, I don't even know if I have enough time in this podcast to, to get to all that. And look, is it better than nothing? Yes, but, <laughs> I mean, you're going to ask the players to play spring football, take a couple months off, and then play an entire fall football season? Are you going to completely just cripple every other sport going on at that time, whether it's college basketball and college baseball? You, you, are you going to revamp the entire calendar? I think the calendar needs some tweaking anyway. I think basketball starts too soon. I think baseball starts too too soon. I think there's too big of an overlap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think that we're ready for all of that. I mean, that is like I, beyond radical. I'm not against if it, if it's if it's either play in the spring or not play in the spring. I'm for playing in the spring for one year. Look, <laughs> and again, you have people, and then this is when you get into like the coaches. And look, I love coaches, and I'm always pro coach. But some of these things are unbelievable. You know, I mean, they're like, well, we got to have 21 weeks of this before we can. Do- no, you don't. <laughs> you know, you know, oh, we can't have a season, you know, that close to the ending of one season. Yes, you can. You know, I mean, I come on now. Anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted your point. No, you're right. I mean, you can make do. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, that's what I'm it, saying. It, it goes back to the initial point of it, it's not going to be ideal for anybody. In any situation, it's just <laughs> what you know as normal is not normal. So there, there's already been no spring football, and uh, you can't go to the weight room and have the typical conditioning that these athletes would have this time of year. Uh, and you're not probably going to have as, enough, uh, as much lead-up time in practice as you would normally in a fall. None of those things are ideal. You know what? Your average person at home watching or your average person that buys a ticket and going to the game, they really don't want to hear you belly aching about that. Oh, yeah. they want, they, what they want to hear is that you're, you're doing everything imaginable to have a season and, and help the overall goal, which is to get back to normal in every facet of life. And, yes, sports do play a part in that. And I don't even think it's a minuscule part in that. So uh, th- those are some of the things out there. Um at times, if you watch enough of these people talking about the prospects, you will get frustrated and you will get uh, maybe a little bit downtrodden. I would go back to the way I started off the podcast yeah. last week, and that is <laughs> it's wrong. Okay. Yeah. there's nothing wrong with being positive about the outlook of us having a season. And I will stay with that. I, I, it just my opinion. I'm just taking an educated hypothesis on all of this. I do think in one way, shape, or form, there is going to be a football season, both college football and NFL. I, I just I feel that not just because I want it, like we all want it, if I really, if, 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 if some of the numbers were different, if some of the stances were different, if some of the other things were different, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that just for the, the sake of saying it, because quite honestly, I have enough pride and I don't want to be wrong, even if it is just an opinion. I do believe we're going to ha- have a football season, uh, but it's going to be modified in one way or another. And things obviously have to keep we're, we're trending in the right direction. If you listen to all the numbers and Dr. Fauci and and everybody else, um, it's not propaganda to say that things are improving as we sit here in mid-April. And there, to me, there's no reason to believe uh, that they're not going to continue to improve. And then, of course, there's already talk about opening up the country in the month of May. Um, I think I think it's going to come down to the states, which is a whole other issue, which also does 
go back to to what we're talking about because some governors will be full-fledged, all right, let's get back to work, let's do this, we're going to be safe, we're going to take measures, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to function as society again, and we're not just going to tell everybody to stay at home for another three months. Uh, There are some other governors who will say, meh, I don't think so. Just like I was talking about earlier, uh, my life was different while in the state of Kentucky as it was in Georgia and Florida because that governor there is taking different measures than some of the others. Well, some of the governors will be late. There's talk about California, how they might be one of the last ones to have uh, sporting events. Well, how does that affect the Pac-12? Again, measures are going to have to be taken. It's not going to be ideal. It is going to be different. But I would still be surprised if there's not a season. Yeah, I'm hopeful for that, Mike, really am. And you're right, different governors do it. And like a... You notice there's 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 some areas that are, you know, playing this up to the hilt with their governors, and then the, where it's not really as bad as it is in you. And then there's some places like New York and New Jersey, which are, and Connecticut, which are really struggling right now. Um, although those numbers are going down too, and although we haven't run out of hospital beds, and although we haven't run out of protective gear, and we haven't run out of ventilators, and you know all the doomsday scenarios about stressing the healthcare system, which in my 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 understanding was that you know it wasn't so much the virus that was you know keeping us all at home but it was you know overwhelming the healthcare system um and then they were talking about it happening anyway and that hadn't happened so i don't know i don't want to get into the different dynamics of the virus but i mean it's consumed my life because it's literally all i do because i'm I'm sitting there watching that's the the only thing that kind of current event wise that's happening right now and um It was just disheartening to me to read that quote from Bob Bowlesby. Uh, To be honest, I don't think the athletic director from Notre Dame should be talking. uh, Yeah, I wondered about that, too. After his stupid comment about we're not playing without the fans, well, (laughs) I mean, he's right. Um, College football is great with the fans. Everybody knows that. Again, again, you know, you're not, it's going to have to be modified. It's not perfect. So anyway, you know, so so I'm a little, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm coming across as discouraged uh, or, or, or a little upset with some of this stuff right now, but Hey, I just don't think a lot of it makes, makes, makes sense. And it's starting to wear on me. Just the amount of just, you know, dumbassedness, if that's a word, uh, that I continue to see with regards to this virus and with regards to playing this football season. Yeah, I, I think I think everybody has has gone through both uh, a little bit of confusion, a little bit of frustration, a little bit of uh, <laughs> I don't want to go so far as to say depression, but um, in, in some cases maybe yes. I, I mean, look, it, it really is. I I don't think we're overstating it. Um, you know, the NFL draft is coming up in, what, nine days, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you watch what, what number that pulls, rating-wise. I think it's going to be one of the highest-rated non, non-game events in the history of sportscasting. Uh, I think it's going to be the highest-rated NFL draft. Is it the most intriguing on paper? Eh, I don't know. I mean, you got Tua versus Burrow, and you've got you know your typical. Uh, do you take the the great defensive end 
uh, versus uh, uh, the great uh, shutdown corner? Do you, uh, do you are running backs valued too highly? Are we even going to have a first round running back because it seems like they grow on trees these days? Yeah, there'll be all of that. Um, but but people are just jonesing for a distraction right now, and I, I you know I've already completed Ozark and I've already completed Tiger King. I don't know what else I, I know, and I put this out on Twitter. <laughs> what else is there for me to watch? And of course, I got a hundred different recommendations, but I I, I don't want to watch binge TV anymore. I don't want to do it. Yeah, I, I think I, I lost seven IQ points that I don't have to spare just watching Tiger King. And then I watched the supplemental episode the other day. That's right. They added one where they just interviewed cast members. Oh, man. And I watched it. That's how desperate I I, It's terrible. Stop. My brain is turning to mush. I watched Rambo Last Blood yesterday. Oh, wow. Which really isn't bad. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's a little hokey. Um, I can't get you to watch Last Chance You, but you watched Last Blood. Last Blood. It's better than Taken 3. But, I mean. (laughs) That's not a high bar. It's sort of a Taken storyline, though, although with a twist and with Rambo doing what John Rambo always freaking does, (laughs) taking a lot of people out against the odds. But uh, I, I know that probably was a spoiler, but, hell, I mean, I think you can guess the they what a Rambo movie is going to look like, you know, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, so I watched that the other day. I watched the long kiss good night, which actually was pretty good. I'm just sick of watching TV. I mean, I, I have to down probably eight to 10 adult beverages to even turn a concert on YouTube, Mike. And having known me for years, what do I love to do? I listen to music and watch sports. Those are my two most favorite things in the world. I can't even do that anymore, man. It's just, uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm getting to the point where I'm just kind of, it's probably the weather, like I mentioned earlier, where I'm just yeah. kind of sick to my stomach about everything. And um, hopefully, hopefully some good news happens soon or, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, we're, we are hoping for that. Um, and we're we'll get to the interview with, uh, with our cohort Jeff Dantzler in a second, but uh, again, just to repeat, you know, the, the, the only thing I thought that was super newsworthy, if you will, is something that's actually concrete and, and not based mostly on conjecture was that the, the power five commissioners telling uh, Mike Pence, the vice president that college sports wouldn't be back until students return to campus. Now I, there's, that's not written in writing anywhere. Uh, but, but that is something to, to, to think about. And of course that could, it could be a situation where football is ready to go in September, but the students aren't back on campus in September. So football's backed up another month to October just to accommodate, uh, and, and sync up with the student body. Uh, and to go back to my, my point earlier, and I don't know if I ever completed it because I got off on a tangent, which happens uh, from time to time. But mm. basically, I, I think a lot of the conference commissioners are, are, are people that run college football are scared to death of people just saying, well, the, the unpaid labor, you're expecting those college kids uh, to go and play football while the students aren't even on campus. Uh, some would say, well, 
Yeah, for a number of reasons. We can quarantine them. We can make sure they're ready. They're on a full scholarship, and we can play the game, so why not do it? Um, But do you want to take the PR hit? For the people that, again, much like you were talking about, a lot of people are using this pandemic as an excuse to uh, subjugate everybody else to their political views. If you're one of these uh, sports commentators where you just can't help yourself, you will find a way if it's if it's seven turns to get there, you will find a way to inject your diatribe on how you think college athletes are exploited. You will find a way to get that into the conversation if you had uh, games being played while the students are taking, for example, courses online, which so many uh, students of all ages are doing now. And I think maybe the PR hit that you would take from that would be too much for some where they just say, well, we don't want to deal with that. Let's, let's just make sure we say uh, we're not going to do it until the student body is, is actually in the classrooms and on campus. That may or may not be in the line of thinking. I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility. So we will, we'll just have to wait and see on that. Is there anything else you want to get to before we uh, get to our interview with Jeff? No, that's a, that's a ball been on my mind. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about this with Jeff. But then get into some actual football and uh, some Georgia football and some SEC East talk, um, and so I'm kind of looking forward to that. But uh, <laughs> just, uh, it's just one of those things that are wearing on me. When I heard that about the students, I'm like, you know, it's it's one thing to talk. Again, this is my final point. It's one thing to talk about empty, a big, vast, empty stadium where even if you have a couple of thousand people, you can practice pop, you know, proper social distancing. Um, you know, it's one it's one thing to talk about a uh, hundred and something guys, 175 people total in the organization being quarantined and tested consistently uh, to practice and, and take classes virtually. Uh, it's quite another when you consider what a college is. And we've all been to college, Mike. They are dirty, nasty, filthy, freaking places. Um, it's quite another to talk about, well, we're going to throw all these dirty, nasty, filthy, freaking people into these dirty, nasty, filthy, freaking places, uh, you know, because college students, they're going to get drunk and pass out and not shower and not wash their hands and, you know, not wipe their butt good and all that other stuff because it's like we all did when we were that age. Well, And so you're going to sit there and say that. Well, that has to come before, you know, the football situation. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's just, you know, because if, if you do it like that, then, then there are ch- a chance, there are chances that, one of your players go into class with everybody else. They're going to catch the virus, and then they're going to give it to the team because in that situation, if just one guy tested test positive, your whole team's infected. Why not protect those guys? So that that's just, uh, you know, I, I think people need to kind of look at it realistically about how to save the season. Um, higher education is going to come back. Um, you know, you don't want the, this disaster you know, you don't want one disaster to lead to lead to another, um, and so that would be, you know, my hope for everybody out there that's running these things is that is that that was more of a like a like a like a PR quote about those oh, students need to come back before the football team. Um, that's my hope. My gut feeling is is these people really believe that line of bullcrap uh, that they're that they're reading there. Um, but that would be my hope, and I want people out there to realize that it's just a different situation when you're talking about a 40,000 student body population 
you know, versus a couple hundred people in a football. I mean, it just seems to me like football would be much easier to do. And I thought that's where we were heading based on some people that would really know that I've talked to. But I guess the at least publicly, we're not. We'll see. We'll 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 see um, if those comments get a little more concrete here uh, with time, and especially as as hopefully we continue to trend in the right direction on every other front. Okay, uh, we it's the first time we've actually had a guest in 103 of these, not because we haven't wanted to or uh, haven't had the ability to do so, but technically we weren't entirely sure. But thanks to our incredible uh, technical staff here on the J.C. and Morgan podcast, a, a, just a slew of people working hard day and night to make this work, uh, kind of, sort of. And um, we, we, got, uh, we got Jeff on the line to do this. And uh, Jeff, again, Jeff Dancer, I've known for over 20 years, uh, has been covering Georgia football for all that time. Uh, he's an unabashed Georgia fan, Georgia announcer, writes for Bulldog Illustrated, hosts a show on a sh- uh, station in Athens called 960 The Riff. And we had a chance to chat with him about uh, pandemic life, uh, Georgia football, and the prospects of the upcoming season. All right, now we are uh, happy to be joined. We've been talking about doing guests for a while uh, on this podcast. JC, you and I have, have dominated the uh, the airwaves on our podcast. I guess we're allowed to monopolize a podcast that's called JC and Morgan. But uh, we, we have access to a lot of other great voices out there, and we've had a few that we had planned for our uh, 100th episode that – uh, some people are, are Skype savvy and some are not, and that's how we record this. We're all in different cities, and we're all looking real rough as we look at ourselves on the uh, screen. In fact, the guy that we're about to talk to, uh, he's he was a smart one of the three of us. He found himself a, a bootleg haircut. I, I, it's not like it's not like moonshine. We're not going to get you in trouble by saying that. But but his name is Jeff Dantzler. He's uh, Gosh, if you know Georgia football, then you know Jeff. Uh, for that matter, if you know Georgia athletics, you know Jeff. He's with 960 The Ref, does an afternoon show there. Uh, he's with Bulldog Illustrated, uh, does some some written word there. And, uh, of course, for a long time, you've, you've heard him on Georgia games in one capacity or another. Jeff, how are you? Can you hear us okay? Yeah, Mike, it's uh, great to hear from you, my friend, and uh, great to see J.C. here as we're also high tech with the Skype thing. It's pretty amazing, and, and I guess it is a blessing. And, and these days and times, because of technology, that we're still able to do things. And my wife, who's a teacher, she's teaching from home. So when I told her I had to go do this, she said, "Good, get the hell out of here." So, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I think a lot of people thought that this. You know, you heard at the beginning. Well, this will give us all a chance to have great quality time with our our loved ones and our families and that might have been true for the first couple weeks now i think divorce attorneys might have the phones ringing off the hooks because uh when women have to put up with guys like us uh walking around in pajama pants and getting really antsy because the thing we love the most uh besides the women in our lives uh is sports and 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 all three of us whether it's uh doing play-by-play whether it's hosting a talk show, whether it's running uh, a website like JC does with the Big Spur, whether it's covering games in any capacity. I mean, we're all just kind of miserable in a way. Like, it was a nice little respite for us at the beginning. 
but I don't know about you all. I'm getting a little bit beyond antsy. I'm just getting flat out miserable with this whole non-sports thing. So I I just hope and pray that for obvious reasons, we get back to normal in general, but I'm ready to get back to the sports world. Uh, I obviously, Mike, you're you're 100 percent correct, and and I did say uh, nine months from now, divorce lawyers and OBGYNs are going to both be very busy professions. <laughs> but um, good, uh, good luck with the uh, second one there, Mike. But uh, yeah. anyway, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and for that matter, I, I'm not married yet, so I I, I don't I'm have to call a divorce. Uh, not, <laughs> Here's the thing. We're in the minority. You got three guys here, all in serious relationships, none of which are married. So that well, I'm married. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so, right. You are hitched. My wife's a teacher. Yeah. You, 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 you got to pick up what? on that. And, and, and not only <laughs> I should feel bad about that for two reasons. Number one, obviously he said it. Number two, uh, I finally met Mrs. Dantzler uh, at, at dinner uh, with with my significant other at a dinner after a, a basketball game that I. I did for uh, for ESPN, and of course, Jeff, you're involved with a lot of radio stuff there. So I, I, I apologize too. Guys, yeah, I'm, it's all good. But you know, I, talking about the games, I the, the last game I called it, it was March 11th. Uh, the Georgia baseball team we were playing Georgia Southern, which uh, for me is, is kind of eerie in that I, I grew up in Statesboro and began my illustrious athletic career as a bat boy for the Georgia Southern baseball team at that very field. And um, so, so we're calling the game. And my broadcast partner, Dave Johnston, uh, he starts, you know, seeing on the net how this is being suspended, uh, this is being delayed. Uh, and then, I mean, when the NBA pulled the string, um, I, I think we knew – uh, the, the, the dominoes would probably fall. And then we found out that night we were going to, to Florida uh, to, to play the Gators that weekend that it was going to be played with no fans. And then the, the next day, which happened to be my mother's birthday, March 12th, is the day that it all hit the fan. And you know, I, I think for all of us, there was a tremendous sense of unease. And for the three of us, we work in sports, so you talk about directly affecting you, and obviously there's uh, a, a lot of trepidation, and, and, and at some point we're going to get back, but we hope it's sooner rather than later. Of course, uh, there's, there, there's so many factors in play here, but I, I think for people in general, when sports got bagged, as the, the old saying goes, that's when the stuff got real. Because for so many people, guys, and again, it's what we do for a profession, it's the release. It's the way that you get away from work or get away from politics or finance or anything. You know, and I think about this Georgia football game six, seven times a year here in Athens. I, I get to see old friends. That, that's nowadays that we're all grown up and have got jobs and stuff and, and kids that it's the only time you, you, you get the old gang back together again. And, and sports is a great unifier. It brings people together. So to not have that outlet, that distraction, that release, it, it, it's been extremely tough. Yeah, I, I think we've been so caught up in the dollars and all this um, that we have maybe lost 
the focus for a lot of people. I think it is different in the South. I'm not trying to say that with a level of, of arrogance or or anything else, but it's just different here than it would be, say, at Cal Berkeley in terms of the cultural significance of a, of a college fo- football season versus not having one. Again, he's Jeff Dantzler, Mike Morgan, J.C. Sherbert. Uh, we're, we're, ch- we're chatting with Jeff, and we wanted to chat with you for a while about a number of things. And, and yes, I mean, we, we'll get into the Jamie Newman storyline and, and how does Georgia replace X, Y, Z and everything else. Uh, but I, I want to just ask you, first of all, a general question, and, and then, J.C., I'll have you chime in as well. It, Every school, I guess, is somewhat different, but somewhat similar, uh, at least in the ones that we cover. And and I've been doing a lot of reading, by the way, and just speaking of revenues, what if – because I don't know if it bothers you, Jeff. I I, I hear a lot of people – in our business that quite frankly, if, the, if there wasn't a college football season, they're sitting on a few million dollars anyway, like they'll be okay. Right. Uh, but there's a lot of people in our business that can't afford to just sit there and lose a bunch of paychecks. Uh, we all know millionaire coaches would be okay, but there's a lot of people, whether it's SIDs, whether it's uh, the people working the ticket counters, concessions and everything else. I mean, in, in effect, they're almost like small business owners representing themselves that would be crippled by this. And then big picture, you hear stories like if we didn't have a college football season, which generates, uh, depending on the numbers you want to believe, nearly 80% of your average athletic department, it gets its money from football. Okay, So if you don't have that, it's not just, oh, well, shucks, it, it, it stinks, but no big deal. We'll just resume it in, in 2021. I don't think everybody understands how many dominoes can fall if we don't have a season. So how have you addressed this with your audience, with your listeners? What is your overall take on, on where we are and, and, and what the forecast would be and, and what's the, the best case scenario and, and worst case scenario, quite frankly? Well, if there's no college football, it's going to bankrupt every college town in America. I mean, it's it and it, it's let's face it, sports. And I know for some people who, who might have a snide outlook on things, well, they're just games. Well, bullshit. I mean, it's not only is it the release, not only is it the escape. You, you think how many billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars are driven from it in a town like Athens, Georgia, Gainesville, Florida, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You're not only talking about Mike, everything that, that you just said, and you're spot on with, with, with the revenue that's raised, with the TV contracts, with the ticket orders. How about the hotels? How about the restaurants? 80 to 90% of which exist because of the college, because of the university, because of football in particular that drives everything. It would be beyond devastating. So that's why, to, to me, I mean, the big thing is we've got to get, I think, for the country in general. Hopefully, come August, we get school back going again, and that—that's in many ways the engine that, that drives things. It kind of—it's that mode of getting everything back to work. And you know, if it's in October when we start, if they have to push it back a little bit, whatever. And, and maybe it won't be the, the former fashion this season that we've known in the past. But we have got to have it, or there will be just absolutely devastating, I mean devastating consequences when you're talking about with the number of people who are out of work, the number of athletic programs, 
who are not going to have the funding, uh, the number of college students that that affects. I mean, it's it's Great Depression stuff. It's 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 a, a horrible, horrible scenario to think about. Yeah, I mean, like my feeling is, and you know, you have these people that get preachy. Well, it's just a game or, or whatever. And I think the focus needs to be on people getting healthy, which I agree with. And then they're like, and and I think people need to just focus on getting healthy and getting the country back to work. Well, look at that phrase, back to work. You know, who are you to tell me, uh, if you're out there in judgmental land, that your work is any more important than my work? Because unless you're an essential business right now, and we've defined that, you know, we're all kind of in the same boat. So, you know, don't tell me that, you know, your job as a, as a financial advisor or whatever and your ability to provide for your family uh, is more important than, than those of us and, and those people you mentioned, Mike, that are dependent on college football. I mean, just don't don't tell me that. I think that there's this thing that we, we're just out here doing this for free. And, uh, and, and, look, I probably would do it for free, to be honest, if I could. But um, these are people's jobs just like everybody else. So I, I, you're spot on there, Jeff, with, with everything you said. Well, and guys, you know, what I hear, it, and I thought uh, you guys both alluded to, to good adjectives there, the kind of the snide remarks, and, and I've, I've heard this a bunch of times already for, for the people that are so quick to just jump on the fact that we, ah, let's just not have a season, uh, as, as we sit here on, what, April the 16th, and already, yeah, people just want to bag the season, and they, they do it with this cynical, oh, well, it's all about the money, isn't it? I mean, that, that's what it's all about, I you just care about the money. Look, the 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 people that you that you are kind of loathing with that snide, you know, tone in your voice when you hear people say that, they're going to be okay. In other words, the multi-million multi-millionaire coaches and in many cases, athletic directors, like, yeah, they could survive not having a football season and still pay their mortgage and still pay their light bill. But it's all the other people that are affected by this. And I think what we're really seeing now, and I've learned a lot from this process, I'll be the first one to admit, I, I didn't think about all the... Uh, the repercussions and all the levels that are affected by uh, the business that we follow, which is which is college athletics, it, it, it would absolutely, to use your term, Jeff, bankrupt. A lot of people would go belly up on on different things, and and so it, to me, when you say, "Well, it's all about the money," isn't it? I would rephrase that. For many people surrounding college athletics, it's all about survival. Forget about the money for a minute. Yeah, the two are tied in, but survival for a lot of people, uh, it, it does depend on having a, a season. And, and so it's not just affecting the people that you think. And if I have to hear one more time, unpaid labor, look, at some point, if you don't have football, the the amount of money that goes into paying those kids the rent, the meals, the the stipends, the Pell grants. That they, I mean, you, you've had several coaches, including Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, say that in addition to the scholarship, they're free and clear about twenty five grand in, in some cases, just on free money that they can pocket. And very often, a lot of those kids are actually giving that money back to their families. Well, do you think that's a bottomless 
reserve of money. If you don't have a season and you have no TV revenues coming in and you have no ticket revenues coming in, do you think those kids are going to be able to just hang around the dorms or their apartments and live off that extra scholarship money? I mean, I think when you put it in those terms, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute, this does affect more than the millionaire and billionaire fat cats that you like to, to diss on so much. It's a far more rippling effect. Uh, it is, and, and you hit on everything there. And, and again, I'll go back to I have friends that li- living in Athens uh, since I was 19 years old who own restaurants, who own hotels, uh, who own shops, who own boutiques. And I have friends that work in these restaurants and these hotels and these shops and these boutiques. And, you know, you, you don't want to think about what could happen. That's why I, I just think it's important right now not to – not to rush into anything. I mean, we all know what we're dealing with here, and it looks like you know every physician I've talked to and pharmacist had, had kind of said the same thing, that April's going to be really rough, but you feel like you're, you're going to start coming over the mountain in April. Now, you're still up on the mountain, and you got a lot of ways to go. So the way I've kind of looked at things, guys, so April's going to stink. It's going to be rough. Okay, May hopefully is a buffer. And then in June, hopefully we can get more people back to work and, and get back to a normalcy here. And, and I like some of the ideas, like what Major League Baseball is talking about with uh, playing all the games in, in the Phoenix area and what the NBA has talked about with Las Vegas. And, you know, obviously it's not going to be business as usual, guys, but I think we need a lot of ideas out there and, and, and things thrown out and, you know, keep in mind a lot of times decisions that are being made and, and you know, the, the term essential business, I, I get it. Um, but if, if you work for somebody or you own a business, that is an essential business. Mm-hmm. I think we, it, it's essential for us. But, you know, we, we, we've got to at some point get the engine going back again. And, and, and again, for, for so many people, uh, just the, the engine that is college athletics in college towns and, and, and the tremendous trickle-down effect. It's, it, you talk about essential. That Georgia football is the essential business for Athens, Georgia, and for so much of the state. Uh, JC, you, you're up with you, you. Keep up with South Carolina as closely as anybody. What about turning it to another program in a, in a bigger city? Obviously, in Columbia, but yeah. you know the ramifications of a season there. Well, Columbia is basically it's a it's a three pronged um, economy, as you know from living there. University of South Carolina is probably the number one engine driver, uh, then Fort Jackson, and then the state government. So, yeah, I mean, just like you know, Columbia. Knoxville, Baton Rouge, Lexington, uh, in our league or in the SEC. I, I hate to say our, I'm just trying to say our league, Big Ten folks that listen to this <laughs> podcast, but in the league that we're kind of more familiar with, let's say it that way. Um, you know, there, there's kind of these, this cluster of similar sized cities, you know, and, I, and then you got your Athens and Gainesville's that are, you know, sort of around the same, Tuscaloosa, sort of around the same size. So, uh, and then you have your your tinier places like Auburn and Ole Miss and Starkville and College Station. So, and then Nashville's up at the top, but I don't think Vanderbilt's going to have, you know, the, the the economic impact. I think the folks in Nashville need to open their bars. <laughs> you know, that, that's what they need. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, and, and I, I think you know, 
if it, it does impact a Columbia and a Baton Rouge and a Lexington in a similar fashion because, you know, those are bigger places. Um, but again, you know, it's a huge driver, and, and and that's what that's what I kind of find insulting is that people, you know, out there that oh, it's just sports, it's just a game. Well, yeah, but it's also a, a driver in the economy, and, and if we're sitting here worried about, like I said, somebody that's um, in another business getting back to work, then, then we should worry about you know those that are in you know part of this college football thing getting back to work as well, because I, I don't know that you should really you know value you know one person's ability to take care of their family over the other. I think that's completely unfair, uh, no matter how fun our jobs are. You know, guy. The maybe the most uh, concrete thing that's come out the last few days, because there's been a whole lot of speculation uh, and a whole lot of talk, and, and not a whole lot of uh, really substantial stuff. But but there was a situation where yesterday uh, the, the vice president Mike Pence met with the conference commissioners, and or at least spoke to them. I don't know who was actually where and, and what have you, but they but there was a conversation and. Uh, from what I understand, the one thing that came out of there that is concrete, and I'm sure this was an edict that was passed down from the presidents to the conference commissioners, et cetera, basically saying that if kids, if students are not allowed on campus, there will be no season. Now, that to me all of a sudden struck a chord because that was concrete. There was nothing speculative about it. There was no kind of wiggle room. Uh, basically, what came out uh, from the schools and vis-a-vis the conference commissioners, the Power Five, which as we talk about so many times on this podcast, and Jeff, I'm sure you have discussed on your show and other outlets, that's who runs college football. It's the Power Five conferences vis-a-vis the conference commissioners and school presidents of everybody involved, uh, plus, of course, Notre Dame. We've got to throw in there, throw them in there, and their AD had a chair in all this conversation as well. But I'm wondering, I mean, the question was before that, okay, could we have games without crowds? Now it's, we're not going to have a season unless the kids are on campus. Okay, well, maybe we might have a situation where the kids are on campus, and obviously those particular classrooms would have specific guidelines, uh, safety guidelines, what have you, but we still not might not be able to make the full jump and the leap into, yeah, and we're also going to fill a 90,000-seat stadium. Uh, which is right around the number for both the, the schools that you guys cover the most in, in Georgia and South Carolina. Uh, so we can have a situation still where we had a crowdless game. Guys, when you talk to the people that you hear from on a regular basis, the fans, I mean, how does that go? Well, obviously, it's not ideal. We're, we're past the point of this is going to be an ideal season. It's not going to be ideal. We know that. But our fans of the opinion of, look, it's still better than nothing. I'd rather have games without crowds, at least for an abbreviated amount of time, versus no season at all. Now, I, I think that's that's it. And, and also, it's we are, as you said, Mike and JC, we are still in April. And I get that there are contingency plans, but 
it's still a long time before the season starts. I mean, just think if all this wasn't going on, we'd be saying, oh, my gosh, it's forever until football season. But there, there's no doubt, like in, in so many areas, and I'm talking about n- none of us have kids, like, you know, parents, your, your kids in August, they're needing to get back to school because it's hard to concentrate on work and you're trying to take care of your kids. So with that, I, I totally understand how the, the schools feel like they've got to get started back for the season to take place. And, uh, you know, kind of getting to, to some of my friends, uh, it's, uh, you know, you kind of get to it like, yeah, if, you know, if it was a deal like, well, you know, we kind of know what the risks are. It's up to me if I want to go to the game or not. I think a lot of people are willing to do that. But, I, again, I just think patience is the big thing that we need to have right now. And, you know, the, the crazy thing about this, guys, this is just, you know, again, March 12th when it all kind of hit the fan. We've just been over a month here. So I just think it's important for us to see how this thing plays out. You're going to want to look at the numbers, and nobody's minimizing that. But at the same time, at some point, and and I'm not saying today's the day or maybe a month or whenever it is, we've got to get back to work. We've got to get the country going back again. And football, and in so many towns, college football, is the primary driving force in the economic engine. And and I do think now, you know, we talk about not taking things for granted. Uh, Mike, I can think, you know, how would you love to call a 20-inning game between George and Clinton (laughs) right now? I'd I'd give anything for it. I did it a year ago. and and I did, too. I would kill to be back and do it. I know. And, you know, and I always say George was supposed to play Wofford, and I'd say, oh, my gosh, but I wouldn't give – you know, to, to, to be playing Wofford again right now and, and, you know, be complaining about midweek games. But, uh, you know, there, there's just so much that, that goes into this. And I think for all of us, we're not going to take near as many things for granted, hopefully for a long, long time. And also you talk about heroes, you know, doctors, nurses, uh, folks working in grocery stores, truck drivers, uh, getting the goods moving. Uh, whenever there, there's something negative that, that happens, there's a potential for good to come out of that. And, and I certainly feel like that's the case here. But again, guys, at some point, we got to get the country back to work again. And uh, hopefully that's sooner rather than later. Agree with you right there. Um, well, when it does get started back, <laughs> obviously uh, lots of uh, expectations at Georgia. Um, and kind of the way I've seen this evolve is, you know, Kirby Smart almost unfairly, I think, had a very high floor when he, when he got to town, uh, surpassed expectations in year two. And now, boy, it's uh, – uh, we've had three pretty good years of Georgia football, and um, but I think the anticipation is to maybe make it higher, maybe let it go higher. So, what's kind of your outlook uh, on uh, on on the the Bulldogs and uh, sort of what the expectations are this season? Well, I think the expectations are are, are high, and they're always going to be high at Georgia, especially with what the team's done the last three years. Now, I, I, everybody's in the same boat, and that there was no spring practice. But I think it'll probably hurt Georgia a little bit more this year because you got a new offensive coordinator uh, and a new quarterback coming in. And, and, and to me, I, mean, I think Jamie Newman's going to be really good. You know, Jake Fromm was great. But the, the big question for Georgia, uh, we've got a new offensive line coach in Matt Luke, who I think is going to do a tremendous job. And he, um, 
he did a great job in the Sugar Bowl. That was his first game. Well, Georgia's got to replace both tackles, including Andrew Thomas, who's one of the best to ever play here. And Georgia's also got to find a new place kicker. So, uh, to me, that, that quarterback, left tackle, place kicker, new OC, I, I think not having that spring practice – that's where Georgia can feel the sting for that. And, and, and hopefully, whenever we do get started, uh, the defense and the punting game and the running game can carry Georgia enough uh, while the, the, the full offensive arsenal kind, kind of, you know, when they kind of get their feet under themselves. We're talking with Jeff Dantzler of Bulldog Illustrated, Georgia Bulldog Radio, a friend of mine going all the way back to my days uh, covering Georgia in Columbus, Georgia, my first job out of college. Uh, the Mighty uh, Sports Monster, WDAK, where uh, Jeff was a frequent guest. We've come a long way since then, Jeff. Um, I, I want to ask you, this might be putting you on the spot a little bit, but when I look at all the changes that were made and I look at Jake Fromm leaving early and we'll see how his pro career, I mean, I, I look at bare minimum, Jake Fromm is a guy that can hold a clipboard for 12 years in the NFL, make a lot of money and be a, a spot starter at the best case scenario. He could be an Andy Dalton type and now he's not going to wow you, but he's certainly good enough uh, to make plays and, and, and be, a factor at the next level. I don't know which one's going to be right. Could be somewhere in between. But regardless, I think most people from the outside, and I want to get your thoughts from the inside, I think most people thought from the outside Jake Fromm was completely underutilized, that you had all this talent and you were running an offense uh, that was about 20 years old in today's day and age. And while Georgia won a lot of games, and I'm not being critical of Kirby Smart, uh, his record stands for itself. Uh, but I, I thought an opportunity was missed, quite frankly, with what you had because the offense was so overly conservative and, like I say, dare I say, uh, antiquated. Your well, thoughts I, on that? I, I got to disagree with you on that. One, okay. Buddy. I just I think here's the deal. Uh, Georgia got hammered by attrition and injury at receiver. So Michael Hardman, he made the right move. Terry Godwin graduated. Having Riley Ridley and Isaac now to both term pro when they're late round slash undrafted free agent. Same thing happened with with Holyfield. You had the situation with, with Jeremiah Holloman, who was dismissed. And that just took away the big play punch. I went back and, and did some research in the SEC games and the Tech game from the year prior. Those guys had scored, I think, something like 70% of Georgia's touchdowns. All right, so Lawrence Cager comes in and emerges is the team's best receiver. Well, he gets hurt against South Carolina, and, and the offense absolutely went stagnant. And you were seeing teams stack up nine, ten guys in there. And then Cager comes back, plays great against Florida. He gets hurt again. At that point, George Pickens and Dominic Blaylock were starting to come around. And, and I think if you'd have had – and then Pickens gets a suspension and Blaylock gets hurt in the SEC title game, you just never had a period where all three of those guys were up the speed and were healthy and Mike Georgia just ha just did not have the receivers to get that separation mm -hmm. and get those big plays down the field and, and I think with that I, after the loss to South Carolina you know, it was obvious this was not going to be a national championship team but I, I think Kirby realized with from with Andrew Thomas with Swift with Blankenship and with that defense they'd have a chance every Saturday. And, and we went through and, and, and picked up 11 wins. And I'll throw this into from against Florida, Auburn, and Tech. 
threw nine touchdowns and no interceptions. Uh, mm-hmm. He only threw interceptions in two games. That 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 was the two losses. So I, I, I think you're right in that the offense certainly took a step back. And, and listen, Kirby uh, made, made the move at offensive coordinator, but we just didn't have the firepower last year. And I admire Kirby for not just digging in his heels because guys, it would have been easy to say what, what make moves. Hey, we just, we just went 12 and two, won the sugar Bowl, beat Florida, Auburn tech, Tennessee, Texas A&M and Notre Dame. Who are you to tell me I need to make a move? Well, he made the moves. And, and one of the things I always admired about Steve Spurrier, they played for the national title in 95, uh, lost 62, 24 to Nebraska. He demoted his defensive coordinator, Ron Zook and went out and hired Bob Stoops because it's, it's hard to climb that ladder but the, the, the last rung is usually the toughest one to get. Yeah, I, I, I think we agree on more than we disagree on that. I mean, sure, I was a Jake sure. Prompt guy, I, I and obviously you can't argue with the record, but I, I think there's a reason why they are mixing it up. It's because Kirby realizes he, he had to step it up and, and kind of evolve that offensive philosophy a little bit. Regardless of who the coordinator was, the head coach is still responsible for the overall philosophy. And the overall philosophy, yeah, you've got elite talent at Georgia, so you're going to win games no matter what you run in some cases. But I, I, I do think he looks at it and says, okay, we we can't just keep our quarterback. Uh, I mean, to me, Jake Fromm could have been a Heisman Trophy candidate before last year. I mean, a legit but like we didn't final. have elite talent at receiver, though. That's that's what I'm you saying. Know? So yeah, you, did, you just didn't have the 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 the, the gas wasn't in the tank well, to do that this past year, like it was in seventeen and eighteen. I think. You, I mean, I think. It, I mean, the, the problem is too the best, the better play, the better receivers were freshmen. You know, George Pickens. Oh, you my, saw what he did in the Sugar Bowl. My He's goodness! At some yeah, on the broadcast, somebody said, "Well, at some point." Baylor's probably going to need to cover George Pickens, <laughs> you know, and uh, I think he's he's really good. I, you know, coming out of the state of Alabama, you know, I know he kind of he's he's one that you know you hope has success, and because the talent's certainly there. And then Blaylock was one of the best slot receivers in the country. Um, my thing with this Jeff, though, and, and I'm kind of in the middle on this. I've just never been a James Coley guy because um, his philosophy at Miami, and then what it seemed like at Georgia. I think pass happy offenses that aren't all that creative are dangerous because at times yeah. it, it can it could if you're not firing on all cylinders in the passing game, um, you know you're just basically running it. But you'd really rather be passing it and, and just sort of some of the same things I saw when he was the OC at Miami under Golden. I saw at Georgia this year. Now that that's probably because of, like you said, the talent issues. I personally probably would have rather seen them keep Jim Chaney and you kind of run what he likes to run because Chaney's the type of guy to me that you know he's creative enough in the passing game. But if he has to get under center and ram it up your bahancas, he's going to do that. And like you said, Georgia with a great offensive line and the backs they had last year, um, you know, to me it almost almost got too cute. But I. Going beyond all that, Todd Monken and now a guy, a quarterback in Newman, good passer, excellent runner, though. What's Georgia offense going to look like now? I mean, are we going to see something completely different next year? I don't know. I mean, Georgia's still going to be a run-first team. Uh, but listen to this, guys. The, the key to happiness in life, say it with me, is throwing when you want to, not when you have to. Hmm. Uh, you you got to be able to, to dictate. And, and
They were able to dictate through the passing game, but you still got to be able to line up and run the football there. And, you know, when, when you look at some of the, the football stats, I think passing yards are overrated. It's touchdown to interceptions and yards per attempt plus completion percentage. I mean, those are the numbers that really tell you the story, which again gets back to throwing when you want to. I mean, if you're third and 20 and complete a 12-yard pass, mm -hmm. uh, to quote Allen Iverson, whoopty damn do. Uh, so <laughs> to, not, you know, to not have that spring practice there is certainly going to hurt with Newman. That, that's why I think as the season goes along, you'll probably see Georgia put more and more in. Uh, but this is also a deal, guys, you know, us, us doing this from, from three different cities, I mean, th these coaches are hard at work doing all the virtual stuff. I, I get it. It's, it's not the same. But, you know, th I don't think anybody is going to be coming in anywhere just, just totally dry. Now, they are with the reps, obviously. But, but being able to do this type of thing has certainly been a plus. And, you know, listen, I'm, obviously the James Coley thing didn't work out. I, I think the big reason that Kirby hung in there with that was just for the continuity for everything that George had coming back. But then again, you had the, the dismissal, dismissal of Jeremiah Holloman, Cager gets hurt. And, and as was that Pickens and Blaylock are terrific, but you know, for freshman receivers, it usually takes you a little bit of time to get in there. And, and you know, another thing that happens too, when you get injuries at receiver, you start rolling six, seven guys out there. It's hard for a quarterback to get that timing down. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, the NFL, what do they use for? guys it, mm -hmm. it's hard for a QB to, to try and get in sync with six seven different guys yeah it, it was clear I mean it, it you got uh, Georgia was so handicapped uh, at, at toward the end of the year at wide receiver that in a lot of ways no matter what you did you were going to be in trouble and, and the strategy becomes pretty clear you stack the box you contain right. DeAndre Swift and then uh, let an unproven core wide receivers try and beat you uh, for closing minutes with Jeff Dancer and by the way I mean I I, I I thought getting Matt Luke is a steal. <laughs> he's awesome. He's uh, I mean, awesome. in addition to everything else, he's a fantastic recruiter. And then, uh, I mean, he is, I, I've dealt with Matt a number of times during his time as head coach at Ole Miss. He is, a, he is a guy, one of the most likable guys that kids will gravitate to both in the recruiting process. And then once they're there playing for him. Uh, so that was a, a, certainly a brilliant hire made by, by Kirby. Um, because of all the reasons that we've talked about, Jeff, in closing, it's uh, it's like we've entered a time warp, and it's back to where a lot of people are looking at the East, and they're saying, is it Georgia, or, for the mm -hmm. first time in a while, is it Florida? Because Georgia's had a monopoly of sorts on the SEC's Eastern Division, as it, it hit kind of a low point there for a while, but it looks like some of the other programs are certainly back on the way up, uh, and, and that would include Florida under Dan Mullen. How much does it stick in the craw of Georgia fans just to even hear predictions now of Florida potentially being the favorite to win the East? I don't know if that's how it would shake down in an actual uh, – media days poll if we actually had media days who knows but uh how much is that being discussed now in in bulldog country and and oh gosh it's those it's those darn gators again that that might be a force 
Well, and I think Florida's going to be good. Listen, Dan Mullen's a heck of a coach. I, I don't think he's an elite recruiter, but at Florida, you're always going to get players. I mean, Mike Morgan's the number one player ever to come out of Gainesville, Florida. We all know that. <laughs> so you're always going to get players at Florida. So they're going to be very good. I, I think South Carolina's got a chance to be really good, too. I mean, their schedule's brutally tough, but uh, they, they've got Holinsky back. That defensive line, even with, with losing Kinlaw, is going to be one of the best in the SEC and certainly you feel like Tennessee has turned the corner if I'm Kentucky I'm probably saying God we, we had Benny Snell and Mike Edwards and uh, Josh Allen that great defense maybe we should have been playing Bowden at quarterback with Snell who that's Ooh. something you know Van, I, I think Missouri you know is you know, they're obviously going through a change but you know I, I think South Carolina and Tennessee you're right there the, the thing with Florida and, and it's eventually going to happen because Mullins an excellent quarterbacks coach what's really amazing and they hey listen they've had some guys play good against georgia so i'm gonna probably jinx something here is it going back to tebow you know they haven't had that elite quarterback or that elite running back and, and you know it's when they get that guy that they can make the jump from say a 10 and 3 11 and 2 team to really really being a contender because guys i'll tell you last year I'm, I'm not knocking the kid not knocking felipe franks kentucky's beating them 21 to 6 franks get gets hurt on that ill-fated fourth down guys I, I swear i think if he doesn't get hurt if kyle trash doesn't come in i believe kentucky wins that game no and question. it's a completely different season but mm-hmm. trash came in he energized them and, and really gave them the most consistent quarterback play that they've had since tebow mullen is a heck of a quarterbacks coach with trash coming back and again florida's going to always have players so yeah, I, I think they're going to be right there. Now, one of the things I like about Kirby, he's not a fake juice guy. Uh, with, with Georgia, with, with Kirby, it's it's about the walk and not about the talk. And, you know, in years past, that wasn't always the case here. So, you know, if, if Florida wants to talk about it, hey, that's that's fine. We'll just see how it plays out. But, but I don't think they're the only contender in the East. And remember, Georgia has to go to South Carolina the week after Jacksonville. And, of course, South Carolina just beat them in Athens this past year. Yeah, you have to remind me of that. Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> thanks a lot. That's, that's good. That's, it. that's the latest uh, Georgia-South Carolina kickoff in Columbia since the 80s, I think, when George hmm. Rogers was a running back at South Carolina. It was before. Well, the, the, the 1980 game was on November the 1st. Yeah, so that, this, that was in Athens, though. So That, that was. They, they, yeah. Columbia, it's been 30, 40 years. No, I years. think you might – yeah, no, I mean, I think you got to go back. This might be the latest one ever. Yeah. I mean, because we always would play early. Now, this will be – here's the crazy thing. So, Georgia's going to play – it's going to be hotter for the Auburn game than for the South Carolina game. Is that possible? <laughs> we all know Columbia. you got face of the sun, the planet Mercury, and Columbia, one, two, three, in the solar system for heat levels. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. Won't be as big a factor. Jeff, uh, really appreciate it. Go get uh, that bootleg haircut and make yourself sexy again. Well, uh, I try, uh, and, and Mike, uh, I try, you succeed, the kind of bar from the great line from Casablanca. We all try, you succeed. But uh, <laughs> you guys are great, and uh, I sure uh, sure hope you all have me back sometime. Uh, this, was, this was a lot of fun, gentlemen. Well, I, I love it. It's, uh, you know, I, I enjoy doing my, I tell you, it's so funny. I joke about the fact that, 
the things that I've done, if you Google my name, usually one of the first things that pop up has nothing to do with ESPN or Braves or South Carolina. It's Mike Morgan was a guest with Jeff Dancer on Bulldog Illustrated. Read the article here. So I know you're doing well with that. We'll make you famous. Uh, That's what it's all about. By the way, I don't have a bootleg bootleg, uh, haircut person. I can't get a hold of old Wanda. I've Googled her name. And I, so I, I've gone on to YouTube and I've, I'm, I might be ordering my Floby here soon. Oh, the Floby. It's making it <laughs> see even in a recession, somebody's always winning. That's right. Economically. Exactly. Yes. Floby. Ah. Bill, Bill Floby in Ames, Iowa is about to make his first million now. Jeff, we'll let you get back to work and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much and uh, keep up the good work uh, with Georgia Radio and the Ref and Bulldog Illustrated and everything else you're doing in your empire there. All right. Same for you guys. I really appreciate it. See you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, boys. Bye. And again, our thanks to Jeff Dancer for joining us, giving his perspective and maybe the perspective of uh, many of his uh, listeners there. Of course, a lot of Georgia fans. And uh, I, I think there, if there's one consensus is that every college football fan desperately wants the season to uh, unfold. It's just a matter of uh, how that's going to happen. And uh, hopefully that will certainly be the case. JC, it's been fun as always. And hopefully next week we'll have – uh, more positive news to report on and uh, actually start talking about teams and depth charts and schedules and everything else. But in the meantime, obviously, this is going to dominate the storylines. Uh, absolutely. And uh, it, it's been very cathartic talking to you guys today. Jeff was great. And certainly, you know, one of the positives that's come out of all this is that we've, we've been doing this once a week now pretty consistently. And that that's rare because normally – you know, we have baseball, football, spring, and, and, and basketball to cover this time. Well, not basketball this far down, but baseball and stuff. So our our ability to do this gets a little erratic. So, you know, that's a positive is that I get to sit here and record this thing with you every week. And certainly it's, it's a highlight at this point. Yeah, I will say this. Uh, podcast listenerships are, are certainly not struggling during this time. People are trying to find outlets. Uh, you can only watch so many classic games on TV. So uh, podcasts are doing pretty well, but we would gladly uh, sacrifice some of that for games to talk about, and hopefully that will be uh, in the near future. In the meantime, for JC, thanks to Jeff again. This is Mike saying so long for now. We'll see you next time on another JC and Morgan podcast.